Hello and welcome to Daddy Issues, the spooky podcast where we talk about father and son relationships in popular culture. It's spooky because it's Halloween. I don't know if you've you, you got that. It, oh, it's Halloween today. Um, hi Dave. Yeah, how are you? I'm <laughs> good, Tom. Happy Halloween. Are you, um, are you, how are you suitably doing? spooked? I'm, I'm now, yeah. That was, uh, you know, creeped me out with that intro there. Good. Alright, catch it out. It's, no. <laughs> it's the way you went. It's the way you went spooky. Oh, I thought I there was a ghost in the room. There, there was. The ghost of Scooby-Doo. I was going to say. Yes. Or, kids raised on Scooby-Doo are trained to find that really terrifying. Yeah. Or to really touch a nerve, the ghost of Sean Connery. Oh. Who? That is breaking news. I know. The it's last horrible. Hours, that, not that news is broken. Yeah. I don't know how much we want to talk about Sean Connery, but maybe this next week... We've found our father-son movie. We're going to have to come back for Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Yes! Yes! Last yeah. Crusade. Absolutely. Yeah. Although, as we've discussed before, just because we mentioned it now doesn't mean we're ever going to do it. But no, today... We we're signed in spooky blood. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me just yeah, prick my finger and smear it all over my screen. Yes. You have to smear the word spooky. Anyway, because it's <laughs> it's Halloween today, normally I think you're supposed to release things for Halloween, but we're doing it on Halloween. Because uh, it's such a spooky day, we wanted to do a kind of a, a horror movie for the father-son horror movie. So we chose to go for Stephen King slash Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Oh, that's Psycho. That's Psycho, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's a very squeaky axe. <laughs> He's gone. He's oiling that axe. Yeah, yeah, you got to, especially in that kind of winters. Um, so you just watched it today, right? Yes, yeah. Not for the first time, but I, I rewatched it this morning slash this afternoon yes. in preparation. Yes, I I remember the first time I saw it, I was 17 at a, a Halloween house party. Very topical. Perfect timing. And, and there was a girl who was very scared and it was great. Oh, because, because it was it... like like flirty teenage. Oh no, you don't have to be scared. Oh, the guy's got an axe. Was, was there cuddling? That, you know, oh, I don't, you know. Uh, you don't want to cuddle until. A gentleman tell. never tells, but yes. <laughs> oh, you player. Oh. <laughs> so um, then, I think I've gone back to it a few Halloweens ago while I was doing, uh, while I was living in Scotland. But this year... Um, Two of my students, two of my favourite students in, in the world, uh, who are Lisa and Kate, we will, again, never listen to this, so I can, I can tell them how good they are and how proud I am of them, because they, <laughs> they won't have to. But um, uh, Lisa said to me, oh, when I go back to school, there, she's like 18 years old, she said, when I go back to school, our English class, I should have done this a lot better, they live in Russia. And okay. Yeah. Said, for, yeah, for, be yes. Yeah. For our, our Russian English English class, we are studying The Shining, and I was like, "Well, that's a fucking cool book to be studying." Well, uh, at school, like we did. Oh no, Of Mice and Men is a pretty cool book, but I like The Shining is just it's just out there, right? It's just you know, it's not something you're going to get on your GCSE test. No. So yeah, so it was over the summer. We were in lockdown and. Uh, me and Lisa and Kate, we all read the book um, and then came back and we spoke about it a lot, really like kind of studied it and went in depth on it and then watched the movie just after we finished reading the book. I was like, God, this is great. Um, and then I watched it again earlier this week as well. I said to you, oh my God, father and son, father and son. Oh my God. <laughs> you did, that but, was the message. 
Yeah. Perfect. But what did you think, uh, just quality-wise, of the the film when you watched it this afternoon? Well, it's, I've I had never seen it in t- uh, before until about a year ago, a year and a half ago maybe, mm-hmm. where a friend of mine told me it was his favorite ever movie, and I told him I'd never seen it, and he almost basically just left my house to go and get a copy of it. His <laughs> <laughs> mouth dropped. Um, but yeah, he returned with a with a Blu-ray copy that he gifted to me and was like, "We're watching it now." So we all sat down and watched it, and that was the first time I'd ever seen it, and I, I liked it. Um, I've seen it a couple of times now since, but I'd read the book a couple of years, three years ago, maybe, mm. just um, just on a whim. I was on a bit of a Stephen King kick, and I thought I should, I should read it. But when I told this friend who loves the movie that I'd read the book, it, it, I kind of his, his heart sank. <laughs> he was like, "No, you can't have read the book first. It's going to ruin it." Right, that's interesting. Yeah, well, the, when you mentioned that you had read it um, with your students and then watched it, I wondered if you found that uh, the film had been spoiled at all by having read the book, and as books often do, and contain a lot more detail, a lot more backstory. Mm. Do you feel like the film was um, was hurt for lacking in those things or not? Well, let's definitely come back to that, because I think that's that's like a topic for sure that we're going to have to get into. Okay. Um I don't think with The Shining we, we super need to go into explaining the plot. The plot's pretty simple, really. You have the uh, husband and wife and their, what, like, 10-year-old son? Danny, Something like got, that, yeah. Yeah, got Jack, Wendy, and Danny, Danny the kid. And uh, the father, Jack, has been hired by the Overlook Hotel, a uh, remote hotel in the Rocky Rocky Mountains. I think it's the Rocky It's in Colorado, yeah. I don't really know much about yeah. American geography, but it's definitely in Colorado. I'm going to, with confidence, say it's the Rockies. Um, <laughs> okay. But he's been there, he's been hired as the caretaker over the winter because, uh, as similar, they mention at the beginning of the movie, they say, oh, is this where the Donner Party were? Which is like a horribly... Um, a horrible foreshadowing for what the fuck is going to happen to these poor people because the the Donner Party were a group of American settlers in the 1800s who got trapped in the mountains during the winter and got snowed in and they all had to eat each other yeah um is that so a famous when... story then because I'd never heard that before I saw this film yes yeah it's one of those kind of like uh American bits of like national mythology yeah you have like like the the story of the Donner Party and it's kind of you know this um the magic um, and like dreamlike heroic qualities of the journey out west, you know, with all the settlers and their baggage trains, and like uh, like settling the this massive nation that the god has given to them, um, <laughs> is just horribly goes horribly wrong. Yeah. And like thirty to forty people all get trapped in the mountains over winter, and they get frostbite and they have to eat each other, and it's it's, it's yeah, it's horrible. But it's cool. yeah, it's a great story. It's a great story. Um, but then like, and Jack is this very plainly tells it to Danny like in the car like yep that's a thing that happened people do that yes. to each other sometimes yes you're yeah. 10 so, well, it must be younger than 10 he looks tiny but um, yeah that was the first point in the movie where I went oh there's a bit of parenting I can make a note of he tells his son <laughs> a horrific story when they're about to go to a scary hotel where they have to live on their own for five months yes yeah yeah oh it, it's not like the donna party but they did eat each other while they were stuck in the mountains so you know just gotta be gotta be ready for that kind of thing um and it does do a really nice job of setting that kind of thing up like in within the first i don't know 10 minutes we've said oh the donna party ate each other in the mountains oh and this hotel is built on an indian burial ground <laughs> yeah 
which is hilarious oh, now God. because I'm not sure if this was the um, the precursor for it, but the whole buried on an Indian burial ground thing is now kind of a joke. Yes, in, what in is scary it? movies, it's like um, I think they joke it. They make a joke of it in the Cabin in the Woods, the, mm-hmm. um, Joss Whedon and Matt Reeves film, and I think the Simpsons have sent it up so many times too that by the time I saw The Shining for the first time a year ago, I was like, oh, I, you kind of don't take it seriously yeah, I wondered actually at the time of course it was built on an Indian burial yeah you're like oh of course yeah. it was yeah and you wonder if at the time people were like oh that's interesting or it was like a completely throwaway line that didn't mean anything to any any film goers at that time yeah well I think it's definitely a Stephen King related thing because I'm Pet Cemetery as well the Pet Cemetery is built on an Indian burial ground and that's oh, right. why the pets come back to life but Stephen King has like a bunch of cliches I might be wrong about that the, be- the the only thing you really have to know about the Pet Cemetery movie is that it has a Ramon soundtrack so it fucking kicks ass the original one or that remake that I did oh no the original one the the one okay. with the I don't want to be buried in a Pet Cemetery the lyrics from the Ramones <laughs> perfect <laughs> What came first, um, the song or the book, or, and then the film, or the did the song was the song written? No, the song the... the song was written for the movie. I oh, think. nice! Yeah, because they they were big Stephen King fans. Um, but yeah, like he's full of cliches. Stephen King, it's like almost everything takes place in Maine, in like New England, um, uh, which is not as good as the old England. We should <laughs> firstly, there's not many Native American burial grounds in. Old England. New England to seems to be that, yeah, no. full of them. But, <laughs> yeah, I, that's probably the, the fault of the people from Old England, anyway. But, um, yeah, he, he's always in, like, in Maine. Um, there's always an Indian burial ground. Uh, you know, you can, you can pick out those kind of Stephen King-esque elements, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's go into, I guess, into our three main characters a bit. So we have... Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, which is very convenient for remembering his name. Um, yeah, well, the, they the changed that as well from the book, didn't they? He was called John in the book. Well, this this is one of the things I was thinking about as well, because we have the famous, here's Johnny line. And this is one of my three inconsistencies within the movie that I kind of wanted to get into later on. I'm um, sorry, I keep jumping ahead for you. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. The, the, you have the name John and Jack, which historically have kind of been interchangeable. In America, like, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. The, the the name Jack seems to be like another shorter version of John or Jonathan. So when he says, here's Johnny, it's like saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm Jack, therefore you, I could also be Johnny. Well, But they didn't establish him at any other point in the movie as being called John, Jonathan, yeah, well, or anything. Yeah, well, I think anything. that's... I, yeah, the, I, the thing with the Here's Johnny line is it's not a reference to him at all. It's a quote from Ed McMahon from the Johnny Carson show. He would, in, oh. he, would in, he would announce um, Johnny Carson were going, here's Johnny, and then Johnny Carson right. would run out. and So that it's just a direct quote from popular culture. It's not anything to do with him. See, that is a real shame that they didn't tie that in more. Because as a British person with very limited knowledge of the Johnny Carson show, <laughs> that is something that, that definitely, went, definitely went over my head. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, that, I feel like I've just knocked one of the, uh, the pillars of your... Uh, your whole thesis today knocked over no no I, I still think it's like what a weird popular culture reference to have in this movie that doesn't have many popular culture references yeah I think Jack like, Nicholson supposedly made it up on the spot and right. in, but 
That's right. folklore. Who knows? I, I bet he smashed that door in like a hundred times, coming up with different zingers every day. Poor <laughs> Shelley Duvall is on the other side of that door going, oh my God, not the Johnny Carson chill. I can never watch Maybe it again. Maybe that's why she's so terrified. She's like, oh no, what zinger is he going to ad-lib this time? <laughs> oh God, there's been so many. <laughs> He's going to be introducing the Beatles next. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, we've got Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. What do you think of, of Jack Nicholson's performance in this film? He definitely doesn't hold back. He goes, he goes full. What do they? I don't know he what the phrase. He goes full Jack Nicholson. He goes, he goes full Jack Nicholson. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's really hard to watch sometimes to watch films from a bygone era, and to and then um, judge not judge but um, analyze the acting because a lot mm. of the time because acting has changed a lot over over the decades so i now you look at it and it looks maybe a little bit hammy and a little bit over the top but at the time i'm trying to imagine it maybe it was a bit more it was terrifying and people didn't see actors on screen they just saw the characters Mm. so whereas now i I always watch a movie and go that's an interesting choice by that actor or he's done a really good job here whereas a more um I suppose uh, what's the word? A less educated, not educated, because I've I know I've watched a thousand films, but maybe if I was thirty three in nineteen eighty, mm-hmm. I would only have watched a couple of hundred movies, you know, and I wouldn't be quite as well. Not even a hundred. I don't know. Films are so readily available now, and I've and there are so many. The catalogue is so huge because of yeah. time. It's really it can be difficult to take yourself out of that. I'm the viewer. This is a movie. That's an actor. Lighting, camera placement, script writing, all of that is an element of it. So yeah, now I think Jack Nicholson has made some really cool choices and he definitely went all out. But um, yeah, and as well, having read the book first, it was hard to um, yeah not take that as another, what's, what am I trying to say? Another influence on his choices. Yeah, I think, yeah, we get getting into the book in a minute is a, is a really good idea. But I think what you're saying about Jack Nicholson as an actor is kind of interesting and true. And it comes from, uh, the way I think about it comes from the John Mulaney, Nick Kroll, um, Oh, hello on Broadway thing, which, uh, which is one of my, my favorite things of all time. Um, but there's a bit on that where they talk about acting in the 1970s and it's like that post Marlon Brando inspired generation of actors, right? Yeah. yeah. Where that generation of actors, they're very quiet. And they don't say anything, and they drink black coffee, and then they suddenly shout, and then that's acting. Yeah, right? like Al Pacino and, is like a perfect yeah, example of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like I'm, I'm very quiet and intimidating, and then uh, you know, it's like um, those are the two modes that an actor in the 1970s has: it's quiet, <laughs> yeah. uh, pensive, and drinking coffee, and then exploding in fury. And those, those are the two gears that that they've got. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely where where this this performance comes in. Um, <laughs> yeah. because what do you think of his relationship with Danny? So the character Danny is played by Danny Lloyd. Again, you have the, the dad called Jack played by Jack and the son called Danny played by Danny. Very yeah. convenient. Um, but what do you think of their, their relationship as a father and son in this movie? I, I, they don't really spend any time giving you any inkling. Mm. I find I thought the time the when they're in the car driving to the Overlook Hotel is the first time you really see them interact, and all you see is uh, all there is is Jack, um, 
Oh, so Danny says he's hungry, and Jack just says, "Well, you should have eaten before we eaten your breakfast before we left." So he is, and then he tells that cannibal story of the the Donna yeah, party. Yeah, yeah. But they don't really spend much time developing that relationship. No, which there's is, much like, more time spent with with Danny and his mother with Wendy. Yeah. Played by Shelley Duvall is just in, uh, unbelievable in this film. Poor, poor Shelley Duvall. Yeah, like yeah, and horrible Stanley Kubrick just absolutely murdering her on the set of this movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, he spends all. Danny spends a lot more time with Wendy, and we see them interacting more and making the most out of their time together. Like when the snow falls down. Danny is out with Wendy playing in the snow and he goes through the maze with, with Wendy. Whereas we just see Jack staring out of the window with like Yeah, creepy um, with a madman's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point, um, about their relationship. And a good place to jump over into the book, because what do you, mm. what do you think the big differences were in their relationship in comparison to how it was in the book? Um, I th- I I don't rec- uh, remember it word for word, but I think there was a lot more time spent in um, showing uh, well, giving us some of the history between Jack and Danny. And mm. I know that later on, um, Jack goes uh, tells the uh, the bartender about the time that he hurt Danny. Yes, the momentary um, loss of muscular coordination. What does he say? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Momentary lo- yeah. loss of muscular coordination. Um, but in the book, I think it does tell that story basically just like that, that Danny got into his papers and dropped them on the floor and yeah. Jack f- flew off the handle a little bit. But it also builds up more of Jack. That That is not um, atypical for Jack. Mm-hmm. That is kind of um, within his personality. And as, yeah, because uh, yeah, I know that um, the reason he needs the job for the winter is he gets he's a teacher and he gets fired for doing a similar thing to a child i think i can't remember what it is i think a kid is gonna do something to his car you know he's something. he's a teacher at a college i think so the, the student yeah. is like 18 years old or 19 years old and okay. he and um but the kid has a bit of a stutter in the book so um jack cuts him from the debate team because um he's got a stutter and he's like you're unless you can improve your stutter you can't come and do the debate but this is a kid who's just been given everything his entire life and Jack kind of hates this kid because he's got a rich dad and he messes around but he never gets disciplined because his rich dad uh, funds the school and all this kind of stuff whereas Jack's had nothing his whole life and he cuts this kid and he takes satisfaction from this is the first time this kid has ever like suffered a loss is me telling him he can't have it he's like he's at the school quarterback all of this stuff but Jack has the power to say no to him, and he does. But when Jack goes outside, he finds the kid slashing his tires, and he, yeah, I think it. he is like eighteen or he's eighteen or nineteen. I think this this student. Um, but yeah, Jack just like lays him out, basically like breaks his nose, or and then he I think it, maybe he hits his head on the pavement. Like Jack, I think Jack basically pushes him. It's it's aggressive, but not ultra violent. And then yeah. the kid hits his head. And um, it's like in a coma or something, and the school is like, Yeesh. <laughs> you they know, can't just like, let yeah. that slide, yeah. Even yeah, in yeah. the seventies, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is a a lot more time put into Jack's backstory, as you're saying in the book, that we just yeah. don't get in this movie. Because in the film, but, you you're not sure what to believe. 
the whole yes. thing is is very vague and yeah very little time is spent in backstory and you know the film begins with Jack going for the interview at the hotel and then within 10 minutes the whole family are going there to begin what will be the whole plot of the movie so there's there's no time for us to learn anything about these people and what they are like and what their behavior is and what is likely for them and what would Jack do that would Wendy say that would Danny yeah. say that we have no idea we just we just dropped into this new situation with them yes yeah I yeah, it is a bit of a shame, and I understand why, because the the movie, obviously the movie's very different to the book, but the movie is much more interested in the atmosphere of the hotel than it is in the story of ghosts. Yeah. Whereas it being a Stephen King book, he's like, uh, the history of the hotel is haunted, and there were gangsters in the 50s, and there were Native Americans being killed in the turn of the 20th century, and it's this bigger... Like, why is the hotel the way that it is? Why is Jack the way that he is? And how do those two things combine to create this monster? Yeah. Whereas the, the Kubrick movie is like, have you noticed that this hotel is fucking terrifying? <laughs> um, because it is. And also, I don't know if you noticed, but Jack Nicholson's a psychopath. And we're going to put those two things together and then just let it play out. In, yeah, there's something in- as well about that casting in that if you weren't sure what was going to happen, if you had just walked into yes. this film and you you got kind of a sense that things were, um, were, on, were on a bit of a knife edge and the film was going to be a little bit creepy, if not downright scary, and then Jack Nicholson is the lead, you're like, shit's going to go bad. <laughs> of course it is. They've hired <laughs> the guy who can handle shit going bad. Of course it's going to be... Of course it's going that way. Yes, yeah. People are not going to make it out of this alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's that's actually one of my key problems with the movie again in comparison to the book is that as we were saying before in the book we spent a lot more time focusing on jack's regrets and in the book uh, jack is an alcoholic and he did hurt danny that time possibly more times but he spent the last few years of his life trying desperately to do whatever he can to not give in to his alcoholism and his violent the violent urges that just fill his body um and that's why he's so ashamed when he does hurt this student because he spent years trying not to do this because he knows that wendy his wife is like a centimeter away from leaving him and it go it goes into that in great detail in the book where there's one night where i think it's jack is with another friend from the school and they're driving along and they hit someone when they're driving their car. But they get out of the car and they can't find anybody on the road. There's nobody by the side of the road. They look for hours. But they don't know if because they were drunk driving, they both hallucinated this person or if they actually killed someone. And that night he gets home and Wendy says, Jack, we need to talk. I have something. I want. Like She's going to say, I want a divorce. And he's just like, not now, please, Wendy. Like any other day, just, just not now. But he tries his hardest to change as a person. And it's why when in the movie we get that scene with the two of them on the stairs, um, as he's going after Wendy, she's got the kitchen knife trying to fend him off. Baseball and bat. he's like, Oh, yeah, sorry, the baseball bat, yeah. yeah. It's like, I, like, yeah, I don't think you... Un- he's like, I, you, why don't you understand my responsibility here? Because yeah. this this character is trying desperately to hold his family together whilst 
trying not to be an alcoholic and trying not to give in to this violent part of his humanity. Yeah, Whereas, but that's, that's an insight we just don't have. Yes, exactly. Film. And then in the movie, it's just like, oh, he's crazy from the beginning, right? There, yeah. We, we don't get to see how the Overlook Hotel wears him down. Like, because the whole of the, the book, once they arrive at the hotel, is the the hotel trying to, like like a spider, get its, you know, its legs into his mind to yeah. unlock this violent, you know, this violent part of him and him trying desperately to fight back. And he just can't. Um, whereas in the movie, like, he's already a psychopath in the car on the way there. Like, he's got the full-on Joker smile. He's talking yeah. about cannibals, you know. Again, it's, it's just the, the casting of it. But then, yeah, so... It's hard to again. Like I told you, the first time I watched this was with a guy who loves this film. So I kind of, he kind of, I come out of it and not, I can't really say. Well, there's a lot of things that don't really add up. There's yes. so much is left to assumption in retrospect. Like we can watch the whole film and go, oh, I guess, I guess he was always a bit crazy, and again mm-hmm. with like the alcoholism, like he goes into that em- the empty bar in the empty Overlook Hotel. And says like I'd give anything for a drink, and he has this real. Cause that's that's right after um, he like wakes up from a horrendous nightmare where he yeah. dreams that he kills Wendy and Danny, and then Danny comes into the room after Wendy finds him and destroys. And then Danny's got the, the bruises the on his neck and his like, yeah. shirts all ripped and stuff. Um, yeah. So he's and, already and in. And Wendy, like a... Wendy, Wendy accuses him of hurting yeah. Danny. Yeah, yeah again, which, and we have no. Yeah. We have no Sorry. context for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so exactly. when that when that happens, that, that pays when... off later. Yeah, but when that happens in the book, we've had a hundred pages, really, of Jack saying, Wendy doesn't trust me anymore. And every time she looks at me, I can see there's some part in the back of her mind that remembers when I hurt our son. And he is obsessed with the fact that Wendy doesn't completely trust him or love him anymore because she can't forget what happened to Danny. So when she comes in then and says, you did this to him, it's like stabbing him in the heart because he's tried so hard. He's like he's given all of himself to trying to be a better father. But the first thing Wendy assumes is that you are a bastard and you hurt our son. And in the in the book, it is like him getting a kick in the gut. Whereas in this one, it's like, well, he is a bit of a crazy person. So I frankly wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, sure. But then and then they do it in the reverse and the in the next scene. He goes into he gives us that kind of dialogue straight yeah. up and says yeah. she doesn't trust me she'll never let me forget what I did that time it was only once yeah. and it wasn't really my fault and blah 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 excuses excuses yes and then she comes in and he is not willing to forgive her for what for what she said but she's yeah, like she turns there's quickly. a crazy person yeah yeah it seems like there's a scene missing there where um, Shelley Duvall takes Danny to you know, a safe place and consoles him. And then she, and she's so angry with Jack, but then Danny tur- like turns her um, energy around by saying there was a mm-hmm. lady in the room and she put her hands on me. And then yeah. just, that'd be a nice moment to see the re- the change in, in Wendy yeah. to when she goes straight from like hating and wanting to take her son away from her husband to needing Jack to potentially protect them from a dangerous person that she believes is, yeah. wandering the hotel yeah i think one of the things the book does really nicely is there's that line in the movie where jack says i didn't hurt him i love the little bastard or something like that 
Son of a bitch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do you... When, when that happens in the book, I believe that that is true. Right? I believe that Jack is a hurt, twisted, desperate man. But I do believe that he loves his son. In the movie, do you believe that that Jack loves Danny? Um, yes, I think so because there's a scene just before that where um, Danny sort of comes into their apartment and Jack is sat on the edge of the bed. Yeah, and it's a little bit creepy. Like and he beckons Danny over and pops him down on his knee, but he's actually very sweet to him. So like, he asks him how he's doing and if he's having a good time and gives him a, a hug and a kisses him on the head. And you're like, oh, okay, so he does, he does care. He doesn't look like he's really forcing himself to be this way. No. He's just... But he's, he's not like a loving cuddle. He's got the eye, again, the dead eyes of a crazy person in that scene, I think. Well, not, I, yeah, in the, in the beginning when he's on his own. And then when mm-hmm. Danny comes in, he's, Danny seems to soften him a bit. And mm-hmm. Jack seems, is glad that Danny's there. And then I bet it's Danny who's like deadly staring off into the distance. Like he's afraid to really engage with Jack. Yeah, and that was the like the first inkling I got that um, there is a history there, and but you're not quite sure whether it's because Danny seems odd <laughs> this whole time he's been a bit of a weird kid, and you're yeah. not sure whether this is just another element of that. But then it, it, the questioning turns around, and Danny says to Jack, "Like, do you like it here?" And Jack says, "Yeah, I love it here, and I'd like to stay here forever and ever and forever ever. Ever and ever." Which is, yeah, yeah that those the, the ghosty twin girls had just said to Danny a little while ago because mm. he's he's already freaked out. Um, but I do, yeah, I did get this sense that that Jack really did does care for Danny and wants to look after him. Even when how does that end? I know I wrote it down. Um, I didn't write it down. <laughs> yeah, I think at that point you do, and if anything, Jack is just a bit too self-involved to. Mm-hmm even give Danny any like to make any effort to give Danny any affection like he only gives him affection because he happens to be there at no point have we seen Jack go to Danny in any situation and spend time with him or engage with him at all Mm. yeah I think that's yeah I think that's true and it's interesting what you were saying earlier on about um you feel like there's a scene missing between Danny and Wendy where Danny says no it wasn't dad that hurt me it was the crazy woman in room 237 yeah um I think, and I'm not 100% sure of this, but I'm pretty sure that the original cut of the movie, as it was released in theatres, is about three hours long. But the version and the cut that is on Netflix and the, the, the TV release is about 30 to 40 minutes shorter than yeah. the original release was. Because yeah, I watched I it on know... Blu-ray and it's like an hour and 50 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did you you just watched it on Blu-ray? Yeah. Yes, right, right. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that there is a fair chunk of this movie missing from what was the original release. Because I I know that there is a scene at the beginning of the film where Wendy is talking to, before they go to the hotel, where Wendy is talking to a social worker about the fact that Jack hurt Danny. And Wendy's like, oh no, he did. It didn't happen again. It is only one time. Was like establishing his history, um, before they go to the hotel. But that's not in this one. And I think the idea was, was that the original movie was overly bloated, and took out a lot of like the atmospheric horror 
side of it. That side of it that was like uh, the rivers of blood and the two girls and things like that. And the, and the, yeah, the, the twins. Um, but it, it removes a lot, a lot of the story, I think, by, by cutting that out. And it takes it down to its bare essentials of the atmosphere, whilst those, those kinds of important scenes where we, those character moments are, are gone, I think. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting, actually. Because I know that um, the, the differences between the book and the film are, are widely talked about and written mm-hmm. about and um, how about how Stanley Kubrick even intentionally went against some of Stephen King's wishes for his adaptation. Maybe not just to piss him off, but because that's what he wanted to do. And even if he promised yeah. Stephen King he wasn't yeah. going to change it, he did it anyway because that's what he wanted to do. But it's interesting to think that perhaps he did put a lot more of the book and a lot more of the character development into his initial idea, his initial plan and script and cut only for 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 someone like an, an auteur like him, you can't imagine that he sat in the three-hour version in, at the premiere and went, yeah, maybe it's, a lot of this is crap. Like by the time he's yeah. by the time it's out there in theatres, this is his vision, this is his piece of work and his his art, and he's done with it. So I can only imagine that it was some studio or just some distributor head that was like, we don't, it's not doing as well as we would like. Why don't you make it a bit shorter and maybe we'll make sell some more tickets or yeah. or sell or a few more VHS copies or whatever. Um, yeah, that's kind of an interesting thought. I never knew that side of the story. Yeah, we're well, checking it out now, or maybe maybe I've got it slightly wrong. So when it was uh, when it was premiered and it was running for a week, there was some extra scenes um, that take place after the uh, after they escape from the hotel at the end. Um, but then they cut Kubrick cut after the premiere and the film. He did see it and then cut out some. Then the European release for the film cut 25 minutes from the film, um, which includes Danny being attended by a doctor, more references to Tony, his like finger, like the embodiment of The Shining with, within himself. Yeah. Um, references to how Jack injured Danny when he was drunk, and more um, more footage of Scatman Crothers as Halloran, his shining friend, trying yeah. to get to the hotel. And I think that was already the version... a lot of footage of Halloran getting to the hotel. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, there is a fair amount. But like he, well, he doesn't have any problems getting to the hotel, really. That we see, it just cuts back and forth to him. It's just a in... long ass journey. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. Really have any but... obstacles. No, in in the book, it's like oh, the wind, uh, the snow is so bad, his car breaks down. Then he has to get a snowmobile, and he has to kind of use the shining to convince people to lend him, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So I think, and I'm not sure, but I think the version that we have is just missing some of those moments that give us more of the relationship between Jack and especially the the backstory between Jack and Danny. And why Jack is so invested in keeping yeah. Danny and obviously the, the hotel is invested in keeping Danny in the hotel because it wants the power of the shining um, and why Jack is so invested in not when Wendy says he says you want to take him to a doctor don't you what what he really means is you're trying to take him away from me and like he's the most important thing to him is keeping Danny in this place and not letting him out yeah because at that point I feel like it's the hotel that's talking not Jack yeah, yeah. Not like not literally, but Jack is so in, in now infused by the energy of the hotel that he's acting on its behalf. 
Mm. Yeah, what do you think of the Overlook itself? Oh, that's a re- I think it's really cool. It is great, yeah. It's a great building, isn't it? I can't, I can't think of... Uh... I heard that um, some of the exteriors of the ho- of the hotel were it was just like a two dimensional, like Wild West show kind of set, like a three story okay. tall front of a building, and there was nothing behind it whatsoever. I don't know if that's true. Right. Maybe I'll have to look that up. I'll put it. Maybe we can put a little um, editor's note <laughs> in the yeah, post in post production. Yeah, yeah whether yeah, that's true the, or not. The, yeah. So the the hotel that they used was called is called the Timberline. I have it here. The Timberline oh, that's Hotel. Not what I read. I read something begin with an S. Other one I read, because I know that um, it was yeah filmed inside a real hotel, and yeah. uh, in the book this this creepy room with the lady in the bathtub is number two one seven, but yes. number two one seven actually exists in that hotel that they were filming in, and they were like, can you change the number because we don't want people to be afraid of of having been given room two one seven after this movie comes out, so they changed it to two three seven, which doesn't exist in this right. hotel. Yes, yeah, which is brilliant. That's that's perfect, I think. Yeah, but by the looks of it, the interiors of the hotel were done at a different place. But the exterior was was this yeah was this Timberline Timberline Hotel. Sure, yeah, I know it um, wasn't all uh, filmed on set. A lot of it was filmed in England, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, sorry, it wasn't all filmed on location. A lot of it was filmed in England. Yeah, yeah, but it's a gorgeous looking hotel from yeah. from the outside, and it really is kind of terrifying and and, and brilliant in that way. Uh, do you really? get what the atmosphere that Kubrick's trying to give across like do you find the hotel itself because uh, the movie's meant to be scary but it Jack is not the main monster here right like by the end of the movie he's the slasher right he's alien or he's Michael Myers or whoever but he's not like he's as much a victim as well I don't know if that's true but he is a victim of the hotel by by the end of end of the movie yeah yeah, do you buy into the fact that the hotel and the atmosphere that Kubrick's trying to create that the hotel is a terrifying monster of its own? Um, I, I don't know. I suppose in saying that I don't know that that means no, because if I was, then I would be you know sure about it. But mm. um, it's hard. It's uh, no, because I'm not uh, sure on what side of the line between supernatural horror ghosts and evil spirits um whether that's we're on this side of that line or whether we're on the side of psychological horror where the 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 real truth of it is is jack's um psychotic break and the damage that already exists within him from Mm -hmm. you know from before he arrives here so i don't know if the film's supposed to feel that ambiguous but it does to me like i still am not convinced either way whether this is meant to be a ghost story or whether it's meant to be a story of of psychosis or if it's something in between but it's interesting just going back to what we were saying before about how Kubrick cut a bunch of stuff out um in retrospect and we say we we miss out on a whole bunch of character development and some other background elements that could help in telling the story and creating more empathy with these characters but it doesn't I don't think it hurts the tone of the film and it doesn't hurt the fact that you're meant to be scared because it is still scary. And maybe that's yeah. maybe that's the choice. Maybe it's if you're going to have to cut some of the fat from a three-hour movie. What is the goal? Is the goal to tell a drama about a family and how all the cracks that exist within them, or is the goal to scare people? And it feels like 
that's the way they went and i can definitely imagine people shitting their pants <laughs> in the, in the yeah. cinema oh yeah 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 i think what you said about that blend between supernatural horror and psychosis leads me nicely on to Dom's problems with The Shining number two. <laughs> we, did, we did my first one earlier on with his, Johnny. My, um, I'll my fix second... that one and see if I can fix this one for you. Okay, my second one is All Work and No Play Makes Jack a Dull Boy. Now this, again, is one of like the most iconic moments of the film where um, this is just before the, the staircase scene. Yeah. Um, and Wendy goes over to the typewriter to see what Jack has been working on because he's there to write his play or his book, whatever it is he's supposed to be writing in the movie. Um, and he's already berated her before when I'm working, don't come in here. If like if you can hear me clacking away, don't come in. Even if you can't hear me, don't come in. When I'm working, I'm working and stay away. But yeah. Wendy goes in there and she braves it and she looks down at his work and page after page after page after page are just covered in all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy. And it's this like uh, incredibly tense, terrifying moment as she goes through a hundred pages all completely covered in the same words that he sat there and just repeated on the typewriter, clearly showing that he's had a mental breakdown of, of some kind and that she knows he's gone. Right at this point, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, he's the light bulb is is gone. Jacks, you know, he snapped. And the reason that I have a problem with this because it's an amazing moment. There's no like it's terrifying and brilliant. But the problem I have with that moment is that by showing that he has done nothing except for repeat those words every day since he got there. We showed that his character hasn't actually gone on the supernatural psychotic journey that we're trying to establish that he has. Because if he's written nothing but that since he arrived, then clearly he's been writing all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Which means the hotel hasn't had, hasn't been like probing his mind and corrupting him. Because he was already fucking nuts before he got there, is how how it reads to me, right? Okay. Because we what we don't see, and what would have worked for me is what would have worked better, is if she looks at the top of the top of the of his work, and it's it's the dialogue for a play, right? Formatted like a, a stage play or a screenplay, and she's looking at it and she's like, oh wow, this is really getting somewhere. But as she goes down, she reads the sentence one one sentence. All work and no play makes Jack a doll boy. She thinks, oh, that's weird. Then she goes through a next, another few pages and then it's repeated. And then she goes through more and more of his work is being dominated by this until all of his work is gone. And we realise that while he started off doing his writing, he just turned into this monster that, that he's become. And she can see then that her husband has been replaced by this monster. But rather than her husband being replaced, it's like her husband was already a total psychopath. Like it's it doesn't give us that journey of him turning into a crazy person. It's just that for him to have written this much, he must always have been uh, always have been gone. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. And I both agree and disagree with you. I agree that what as as happens a lot when we when we speak about the movies and and things we watch that you are very good at coming up with ways that it could be improved in a, from a storytelling perspective. And I mm. definitely think that that would be, have been better. 
I think I really like that that idea. Um, my rebuttal is yes. that is is in regards to the timeline because I was making a note of all of the um, title cards that come up throughout the film. So yeah, the very first like, one at the beginning is yeah, it's like the interview, and then an yeah, interview happens, yeah. and um, that leads all the way up to uh, Jack and um, everyone arriving at the Overlook, and then everyone leaves, and you know then they're at their own, and then the next title card is a month later. So they've only been they've been there for a month, and uh, the first thing the first thing we see is the first uh, bit of Danny riding around on his trike that really. I don't know what the purpose of the sound editing is here, but when he's going over from rugs to hard floor, rug to hard floor, rug to hard floor, yeah. the sound, the sound, changes. the sound design in that is phenomenal. Yeah, and it, yeah. that's a really early point I think where it does unsettle you, and you you're thinking, yeah. why is this so poignant? And he's thing? going around in the circle, right? We and follow him circle. through the kitchen, through the yeah. back, into the yeah. Brilliant, so brilliant. Um, yeah, so it goes from that to. Um, Wendy brings like breakfast to Jack in bed, and he hasn't. It's he hasn't got a bed yet, and it's half eleven. And he's like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. And um, she asks him if he had any ideas yet. How's the writing going? And he says, "A lot of ideas, but no good ones." Um, yeah. So he's not really been doing much, and then we see uh, shortly he's after that, the tennis ball he's stuff, chucking a ball yeah. up against the wall. But we see on his typewriter that the page is blank, mm-hmm. and there's no pages around his desk. So I assume that it's been a month, and he hasn't written shit. He's just been sat there or walking around, chucking a baseball around or whatever. Yes. So it's not like he's been writing or working their place since day one. At this point, it's been a month and he hasn't done anything. Maybe he's not, I don't know, maybe he um, hasn't been feeling the effects of the hotel yet or maybe he is, but it's a, it is a slow burn. And from that point on, with terms of the title cards, if we presume that um, they're all in like, uh, well, the next one after that is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then the following after one after that is Saturday, and then it goes Monday, and then Wednesday, and Wednesday is basically the last third of the film. So yeah. if you presume that those are the subsequent days, from from baseball blank page to the end of the movie, it, it could basically be what's that? A week. It could be eight days. So we yes. don't see the first month. We don't really know what happens then, but everything kind of starts to spiral from that that point on. So yeah. I wouldn't say necessarily that um, he's been crazy since day one or he's been under the, the, the guile of the hotel since day one, but mm-hmm. I still agree that I like your way better and that it's a much, it's a really good, you know, the whole show don't tell um, mm-hmm. mantra. That'd be a great way of showing a gradual descent into madness and like you say, um, Jack being there in the beginning, but slowly being whittled away by the hotel yeah i feel like again that's like a modern script writing technique that would not necessarily fit into kubrick's way of filmmaking like i think i said or what you said of what what i was saying before yeah i think yeah i think what you're saying yeah i think you're 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 definitely right but that kind of like gradual descent doesn't what kubrick wants is the effect right she looks at it bang it's there yeah. bang, bang i love how it's like so, formatted in paragraphs too it's not just like a list yeah, like go and write yeah. 100 lines it's yeah different paragraphs are different sizes and every word is the same except for the odd typo did you notice any of those yes yes like, yeah or uh, even like spacing there's like the spacing, spacing is like different. Yeah, yeah. Like all work and no play um makes jack 
oh crap, what was it? Like a doll butt and yeah, right. a, a doll boy with two uh, no O double N instead, little yeah. things like that. Because which makes me, th- when she flicks through all that, I'm thinking fucking out some like some runner. Yeah, or they couldn't just print that out. Had to just yeah. sit there. Well, not one, yeah. maybe they did it in shifts. But they had to just sit there and write pages and pages of that, formatting it differently. And yeah, man, yeah. that's the kind of yeah filmmaking craft that, like you said, like you infer, um, implied, you wouldn't have to do now. You could just print out a bunch of them off of a computer, make, even making it look like it's been typed on a typewriter. Yes. Uh, the good old days. Yeah, just, just looking uh, at something quickly on, on Wikipedia here. It says that the the type when they were doing the European versions and like the the different international versions, they changed the idiom from all work and and no play makes Jack a dull boy into something for German. And then when you saw it in German, it was written in German. And when oh, you okay. saw it in Italian, it was written in, in Italian. But they would change it. So the Italian version is, the morning has gold in its mouth. Maybe that's a, a common expression it's, in Italy. It's probably <laughs> going to mean something in Italian. I don't know yeah. what it is. If we have any Italian listeners, then let us know. But yes, yeah, it's um, it goes to show that not only did they have to produce all all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy, they also had to do it in German, in French, in Italian, in you know various different versions, which is got to respect that effort. You do have to respect um, that. That's cool. Yeah. You don't know. You can't really know whose decision that was, but I'm, I'm glad they did. That's nice. It's yes. it's a bit like in um, Captain America: Winter Soldier, at the at the beginning when he's running around Washington and he goes past um, Anthony Mackie a couple of times on your left, and then yeah. they, they have a chat about um, stuff, and Cap gets out his little book of things that he's missed, and that list is different. I know it's definitely yeah. different in the US release and the UK release. Maybe it was yeah. different in the, throughout Europe too, but um, yeah, those little those little details which. Thinking about it, I think was pointless in Captain America, but I <laughs> I appreciate in The Shining. Yes. Yeah, in the Captain America one, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's cool that it's there, but it's like, I think, in, I don't know, but in the uh, in that, in the British one, I think it says, like, Doctor Who or something. Yeah, it's got and like, it's the, like the Beatles and oh, yeah, World Cup yeah. 1966. Like, why would Captain America give a shit about that? Yes, it's like an yeah. Easter egg that's not an Easter egg because it's so in your face. Yeah, like there are yeah. certain Easter eggs that you would either have to pause the frame or be looking right in the background to see. But when you show a list on screen, even if it's not long enough for you to read the whole thing, who's not yeah. going to try and read some of that? You know? So, uh, yeah, I thought that was dumb. Anyway, sorry. That's okay. A typical uh, think... Dom and Dave comic book or Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, we can't even talk about The Shining without going into an MCU movie at some point. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we can move on to our our next segment then and go to set out segments it's very no well no well it's uh how much of yourself and your relationship with your father do you see with jack and danny from the shining um i suppose the short answer is very little that's a good answer to have yeah i uh i didn't i didn't i didn't relate to that relationship at all, really. I suppose if I'm, um, I suppose thinking about it, I know Jack is uh, wants to be a writer in the in the mm-hmm. in the book. He wanted to write. He was a playwright, wasn't he, or wanted to be a yeah. playwright? I think he'd had he'd put, had plays put on, didn't he? I can't remember. Yes, like local yeah. theatre, yeah, yeah. Um, so essentially, he's an artist who 
um, like they say, those who can't teach mm-hmm. <laughs> in a cynical way. So he, he he's teaching English and stuff, for, um, even though he probably would rather be professionally being an artist, um, loses that opportunity and has to take a working class job to support mm-hmm. his family, which there are parallels to my dad. I think I mentioned in the last episode, he went to college and studied art and I think that's what his passion was. But then when he wanted to have a family and get married, he knew that wasn't sustainable. So he joined the police and took mm. on, you know, a, a steady, respectable job. So I suppose there's a, there's a modicum of, of comparison there, but I suppose they end because I can't see any, any uh, comparison between me and Danny that I could, that I could really draw. I think well, at that age, I was crazy like, psychic people. Oh, well, besides that and the hair, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but no, I think at that age I was pr- pretty happy go lucky and I didn't really, uh, pay attention to, to much beyond fun and games and having a, having a, having a nice childhood. <laughs> so I kind of feel bad for Danny, I suppose, if I, I feel a bit guilty with people like, uh, people like him. Can I just say, actually, while we're talking about it, the kid who plays Danny is amazing. He's brilliant. Like thinking about it, I was just watching it again. Just this, I don't understand how this kid is acting this deeply. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how they how it's done. Whether little kids like his age have proper acting training, or whether they just you know have a bit of song and dance training if they're going to go to the Disney <laughs> or something, yeah, right. or whether they just go, okay, now act like you're scared, and now act like you're having fun, and or yeah, I don't know how it works, but whatever, however they got it out of that kid, it's just pff, incredible, completely believable. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, look like yeah, an actor. Totally. He look, that yeah, like I said before about it's hard not to watch Jack Nicholson and go, oh, I wonder why Jack Nicholson's done that. Um, like for example, Never Blinking. Did you notice that? <laughs> no. In I the didn't. scene, in the um, sorry, we're going backwards on in your uh, structure. No, it's um, okay. In the or work and no play line uh, scene. Sorry. Um, he doesn't all the time Jack Nicholson's on screen he doesn't blink not once right. well, it's like, he's like walking after Wendy at the beginning and he's like what do you what do you think we should do with Danny all that stuff doesn't blink uh-huh. and then when he's following Going up, the, up stairs, the stairs doesn't blink right. at all and uh, again like that's an interesting choice and well done because that must have been hard um, yeah. but yeah with the kids like he's not making artistic choices he's just doing what he's told and yet somehow he's the most believable um probably joint most believable performance because I know Shelley Duvall actually was basically abused and tortured to try and get the best terrified performance out of her. Yeah. So she, yeah. Um, I suppose it's hard to say she, I suppose, she, I mean, she does deserve credit as an, as an actor for pulling off a performance, but... She deserves more credit as a human being for, for surviving, surviving that workplace. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's kind of why I was, I was drawing... Yeah, that, that's her job. To. And, you know, <laughs> they, they do that far. Yeah. But, um, sorry, but getting back to your point, I suppose, Pose, uh, and this is kind of this leads into how I've been, uh, what I've been thinking about since you suggested this as an episode. Mm-hmm. You wanted, you brought this up, and as an episode of Daddy Issues, and th- comparing it to our other episodes, I was kind of like that doesn't really fit with the mm-hmm. with what we've been doing, as far as I can see from my perspective. So, yeah, I drew the conclusion that you must have something. This must hit you in a in a in a particular way. So I'm interested to see what you have to say about that. Mm. Oh God. All right. Here we go. Here's therapy. It's good. Therapy's good. Yeah. I don't think I see 
a particular father and son connection between me as Danny and my parents as as Jack, necessarily. But especially after reading the book, and maybe this is the skill of Stephen King's, is I saw a lot more of myself in Jack than I would like to have done. Oh, right, okay. And... And it's not just the, oh, he's a writer who can't get any of his writing done, right? Although that's obviously going to be a part of it. But Jack and his sins and his desperation in trying to account for his sins and ultimately failing is something that I connected to very deeply in in the book. And I think that's maybe... Um, it's not my number three problem with The Shining, which I have now forgotten. But it's one of... And what I think is a brilliant film. I think it's the biggest mistake of the movie is that it doesn't make us care about Jack and maybe in the book we're not supposed to care about Jack because he uh, he was an alcoholic who abused his son and stuff like that but I really connected to that character and I don't have children so don't nobody has to worry about that and I'm not an alcoholic but and I'm not violent normally but that feeling of having failed the having failed the people you love having failed yourself and no matter what you do it's always piled up against you and turning yourself into the victim of your own sins is something that i saw in jack that i very much see in myself where i feel like there are relationships of mine that I have ruined, friendships of mine that I have ruined, um, which are entirely down to my own mistakes. And it would be, and it has been very easy for me to go, oh, well, it's not my fault that this thing was ruined. The other person was unreasonable. But how many other people could have been unreasonable before you're the problem? You know what I mean? Um... And so that's a really interesting one for me, because when we watch things in Daddy Issues, like we watched uh, Lion King and stuff like that, we said we put ourselves in the position of Simba in The Lion King, right? Simba is our protagonist, whereas The Shining doesn't so much have a protagonist. Um, in, in the movie, Jack is not a protagonist, it's really. He's one of the three main characters, but he's not a protagonist. Um, whereas in the book, the, it's much more evenly shared between Jack and, and Danny, I think. And you're supposed to follow Danny as the protagonist. But I, this is one of the few times in one of these things that we've, we've done where I've seen myself in the father and not in the son. And it made me deeply uncomfortable. Wow. Um, because I don't want to be the monster that kills his family with an axe. <laughs> or at least tries to. So you know. do you feel like you're doomed to be a victim of your sins in the way Jack does? Or do you well, see that as kind of like a cautionary tale and 
as a mm-hmm. as a worst possible outcome obviously not literally but um, yeah yeah it could go it could go very badly or or it could get better so, yes so my concern is is that what what I, what I meant by seeing who who was the protagonist as the audience we should be trying to see ourselves in Danny right the innocent vulnerable person who was brought to the brought to this horrible place that he is not prepared for um and instead i saw myself in the monster right i i'm not sure who the audience is supposed to connect with here maybe maybe it does hit on a different on a different uh, depending upon upon the reader but i do feel i well, I'm, I'm 29 now and when i was younger i always wanted to go into politics right like like there was always i've always been a very i don't know i wouldn't say political person but i guess i guess political person opinionated but now it, vocal yeah, pin- <laughs> yeah yeah all right that's probably true but now by the age of of 29 i feel like i have done i have made enough mistakes in my life that my political career would last about 5 minutes before uh, a scandal broke out and i was removed from my political post a pre-existing right. scandal not you would get yes, drawn yes, into a yeah, new one yeah okay yeah not a new one yeah yeah, although knowing me, undoubtedly, it, something would happen. But it feels like already I have corrupted myself or the situation has corrupted me or th- enough things have happened that I could no longer consider myself a good enough person to do the good in the world that I feel should be done. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you don't feel like you're the protagonist in your story anymore. Well, I don't. Maybe I'm the protagonist in my own story, but I'm not the innocent, vulnerable person that should build a better world. I'm the person that's waiting to go to the Overlook Hotel so that it can get its claws into me. Oh, that's that's. Um, do you think that the Overlook reached out to Jack and brought him there because of Danny and The mm-hmm. Shining, or do you, is it some? mad coincidence that 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 the that the torrences end up there well in the movie we have that bit at the very end and this this does lead me on to dom's problem with the shining number three (laughs) which which is the very end of the film where we zoom in on the photograph from the 1920s yes and we zoom in on the close-up to uh to Jack Nicholson, and it's like he's been there since the 1920s he's always been there forever and ever and that's this again this supernatural moment that we have with um Grady the previous caretaker who killed his family there before who says no sir you are the caretaker you have been here for forever and ever You've always and get... been the caretaker yeah yes yeah and we get this kind of this kind of concept but in the movie it's just a creepy finale um I don't feel it. Do, it doesn't add anything other than that Inception ending moment where you're like, "Oh my God, is it still spinning, or is yeah. it still in the dream?" You know, and it's like that, but it's not thematically prevalent enough within the movie to kind of make sense. I think. No, I agree. Um, I don't think it makes an all, a great deal of sense. Yeah, because you just come out going. Oh, so was he always in the hotel or what? I don't know. And that's it, right? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Is there give some weird you... time travel thing involved? Is this that? Is it gone sci-fi in that way? Yeah. Or 
Has he been absorbed into the history of the Overlooked, like Grady did, who was a caretaker but 10 years before, less so? Yeah. But yet somehow, to, when he presents himself to Jack, he's a waiter in the 1920s. So does the next family who gets called to the Overlook Hotel in a winter for the to fulfil the Overlook's, I don't know, need... Is Jack yeah. going to then be like a presumably somebody important because he's right at the front of that photo, like a yes. maitre d or like a something like that. So yes. yeah, the next family they're going to be present. You know, they're going to get to meet Jack. I don't know. Yes. Well, this is a good chance to move over to the final segment of the show, which is: Have you seen or read Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining? Neither. Uh, but I'd like to, since I since I read the book. I think the 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 Doctor Sleep the book didn't come out very long ago, did it? Um, no, they're both they, both super recent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, coincidentally, the book came out quite soon after I read The Shining. But uh, no, I'd like to. Yes, Although I, because... I immediately questioned the casting of Ewan McGregor in the lead. I, that, I thought that was bizarre, but I'd like to give him a chance to prove me wrong because I do like him as an actor. Yes. Yeah. After we watched The Shining this week, um, the next night we watched Doctor Sleep. Because none of us had seen it. I'm with my parents. I'm not with some like kind of super exciting group. I'm in my Hugh Hefner-esque mansion. And me and the bunnies <laughs> decided to watch a double bill of The Shining and Dr. Sleep. If yeah, I was there's in a power the... vacuum in the, in the Playboy Mansion right now. You could, you could slip right know. in. Yeah, if I slipped into the Playboy Mansion, it would turn into the Overlook. I have no doubt about that. But um, yeah, well, we, we watched Dr. Sleep afterwards. And it's a very different type of movie um it's much more uh, kind of action orientated i guess it, it's not like ewan mcgregor's like hanging out of the back car shooting psychic bullets or anything like that um but that there is like an actual uh monster kind of not a monster, but like someone trying to hunt down the plot of the movie is that there is a little uh there is a little girl who was very very strong in the shining and danny has spent his life um, avoiding the use of the shining because of his terrible memories with the overlook but this girl who is very powerful contacts him and asks for his help because there are people hunting those with the shining to steal their power basically is, is the plot of the movie um and uh the doctor sleep itself is i can see that face you're pulling and <laughs> yes that was also my concern with the movie but the character of the character of doctor sleep is danny himself because danny has followed in his father's footsteps of becoming an alcoholic and kind of rambling, he just rambles from town to town um, until he finds a hospice where he becomes known as Dr. Sleep. And he, because of his powers with The Shining, he knows when people are about to die and he sits down with them, comforts them, gives them a peaceful final moment of clarity and happiness as they die so that he leads them into their death looking back on their life with, you know, their happiest memory, their first kiss, or the day they were married, or something like that. And so this character of Dr. Sleep is really cool and really interesting. Um, but inevitably, we have these, like, crazy shining hunters, and they're hunting, uh, they're hunting after them. Um, and we have the, the, the typical action movie moment, where it's like, to save us all, we're going to have to go back to where it all began. And so Ewan McGregor as as Danny returns to the Overlook Hotel, but this time because he needs it. 
He because he needs it to defeat these people who were trying to kill him and and this girl, and it's a. I think the movie was pretty good. Right, I like I enjoyed the movie. It's not it's not a perfect movie, but it, it's 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 pretty good. But as you were saying, about what is Danny, what is Jack's relationship with the Overlook, once he's in the picture, um, what happens with the next family come in there. The Overlook has been, like, boarded up at this point. Like, it's like a it's derelict, basically. Probably because people kept being murdered there. Um, <laughs> but uh, Danny goes into the hotel and goes to the bar where... Because it's the same interior set. The sets the are all room. the same as the original yeah. movie. Because the movie is a, is an adaptation of the book, Doctor Sleep, but also a sequel to the movie of The Shining. So it's this weird cross-connection that I, th- I think is a really brave, really brave adaptation. But he goes, Danny goes into the bar, and where Jack saw Lloyd, the bartender, Danny now sees his father. And there is a replacement actor for Jack Nicholson, who has Jack Nicholson's exact hair, his exact appearance. It's like down to a T. This guy, it's not, they haven't like CGI'd his face like, Grand Moff Tarkin or anything like that, but <laughs> it's a really good version of Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance from the original movie, and you have this conversation between the two of them, um, where Jack has become the spirit that lives inside the hotel, um, but for Danny, Danny knows he's looking at his father, but it's not his father; it's the the monster that took his father from him, yeah, and. I would recommend watching it just for that moment alone. Because I was just about it's... to say, that's the first thing you've said that's made me go, oh, I think I'll definitely watch this now. When you were saying about yeah, the hunters and the, the, the yeah. people, the Shining, I was like, oh, that's kind of lame. Yeah. That's not yeah. cool. But, and going back to the Overlook, I'm like, oh, of course. Yes. Of course he would. But then now, I just want to see this actor doing a Jack Nicholson impression, really. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Because he doesn't, he doesn't do... He doesn't try and make himself become like a a knockoff Jack Nicholson. Yeah, sure. You yeah, know, I didn't like, mean it quite like yeah. that, but yeah. I no, no, yeah, yeah. That, I know what um, you mean. Yeah. Reoccur, uh, yeah. reappearance of Jack Torrance. That's what I do want to see. That. Yes. Yeah. It is great. And um, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen Doctor Sleep, uh, I'd I'd recommend it. It's like uh, you've got nothing else to do on on a day. Put it on, and you won't come away from it being like, well, that was a waste of time. It's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty entertaining. Uh, Okay, have you got? Is there anything else you want to say about the shiny? Um, no, not really. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up for the reasons that you brought it up, and I'm glad that you got to talk about the the parallels that you could draw from it in your own life. Um, but I, I don't, I, I kind of want to delve into that more. And well, we'll we're gonna have to do that on another podcast. Oh, damn, what a tease! <laughs> Well, maybe we'll have to do this this grand therapy podcast that we were were talking about before. Yeah, yeah. Why yes. not? Yes. Yeah. We'll we'll go over and do one about our horrible traumas and, uh, and <laughs> problems with ourselves. But yes, I'll, or maybe I'll have to do one with my dad. We'll do an episode of Daddy Issues with my dad, where he can, uh, he as, can a, be, as a counselor he can, himself, he can, counsel he can you, tear yeah. me apart. Yeah. <laughs> God. Okay. Well, I think we have already decided what our next movie is going to be. I think yeah, that's definitely a great shout. Yes, after the the, the heartbreaking passing of, of Sean Connery earlier today, breaking news. Um, yes, next up we will do Indiana Jones 
three, the final Indiana Jones movie. There have been no more Indiana Jones movies after that. No, I don't recall anything. No, I've got some... is, that movie that doesn't exist is also a father and son movie. So maybe I know, but there are plenty be... of father-son movies that we don't have to ever speak about ever again. <laughs> is that the, the kingdom of the movie that doesn't exist? Yeah. I think, yes. Yeah. God. Well, thankfully, we're not doing that one. We're going <laughs> to do, do The Last Crusade, brilliant movie, Indiana Jones meets Hitler. What more? What more could you possibly ask You could for? pitch the whole movie just on that. I bet they did. I bet that was it. Uh, uh, Indiana Jones means Hitler and his dad, Sean Connery. Sold. Sold. Yep. Here's a bag Sold. of money. <laughs> oh, hello. Oh, thank you very much. It's cake. Cake? <laughs> it's cake. It, I've got is, cake. Is it someone's birthday? It's Rich's birthday on Tuesday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Dave says happy birthday. Birthday. <laughs> What kind of cake is it? It's a walnut and coffee cake. Oh, I like that. See, this this is a daddy issues moment because my stepdad just brought me some cake. <laughs> I might so... leave this in. I think this is staying. <laughs> yeah. mm. Well, there you go. The first cameo from one of our dads <laughs> on the podcast. Yes. To bring me some, to bring me some cake. That's Put a good place to answer. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for listening. And uh, the last sound you could hear is me eating this cake. Mmm. Some perv in Korea is going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> nice. That was good. That's a nice way to, to wrap it up, actually. <laughs> <laughs>